Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Well, welcome to uh, 2023. Amen. A new year brings to us a sense of new possibilities and a fresh start. And yet it does not take long to remember that we live in a world with many problems, and dangers, toils, and snares. We enter uh, this year with many Christians in our culture feeling discouraged, perplexed, and living with pessimism within the culture in which we find ourselves. I hear pessimism in a lot of words. In the Western world, we recently heard that in England and Wales, Christianity is no longer in the majority among the population. In uh, Scotland this week, and the police ran into controversy for calling pedophiles uh, minor attracted people, uh, changing language to legitimize what people are feeling in that way toward children. Here in the United States, we continue to hear that we have growing numbers of unchurched people, the nuns, they're called, N-O-N-E-S. And here we see the continuing normalization also of what was once not too long ago considered mental illness and deep gross immorality. We hear many older Americans who are Christians lament the problems in our nation and say they're rooted in the fact that we, quote-unquote, kick God out of the schools. We have populist politicians appealing to the sense of loss among American Christians in the culture and traditional-oriented people. And so they promote platforms about taking back our country. We're told that we live in a Christian nation, and like Israel who knew God, we just need to turn back to God. We hear this over and over and over again, and I get it, and I know the feelings that are there. And yet my message as we begin 2023 is that the church of the Lord Jesus should not ever be discouraged. We should focus or not focus on the populism message about taking back our country, nor should we depend on government schools or entities to accomplish what is not their mission. We must focus on our mission given to us by Christ. That is the way forward, and that is what I want to point us to as we begin this new year together as the church in a message entitled A Pivotal Perspective for 2020. 23. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them with me to the book of Acts chapter 10. And while you're turning there, let me just share with you that next Sunday, right after the morning service, there will be a reception in the fellowship hall for Pastor Chase and Ashley and their family. Uh, he marked 10 years in ministry here back in October, and it was just a bad time of the year, Chase, for you to have 10 years. It just, uh, everything was going on there. So anyway, we're going to have a brief time in the fellowship hall, just light refreshments for you to be able to go by and bless them and encourage them and thank them for 10 years of service. We're thankful that we have many of our pastors have been here for a long, long time. We want to see pastors come and stay and serve God here for decades in the life of the church, makes a stronger church over time. And so we want to have a time to honor that service uh, next week. So let's act, look at Acts chapter 10. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read all of it, just parts of it, try to fill in the gaps as we go. But I would encourage you to read Acts 10 for yourself. It is a great, important chapter in the book of Acts and in the Word of God. 
In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. And so they meet him, they come in, they spend the night, and the next day they begin their journey picking up in verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent. Now tell me why you sent for me. So Cornelius revisits the angel appearing to him that he was told to send to get Peter to come. And picking up in verse uh, 42, and so Peter shares the gospel with him and says he ordered us, and that is the Lord ordered them, the disciples, the, the apostles, he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And so Cornelius and the people there that he invited in give their lives to Christ, and they're baptized. And so that's what the central story is about, is the conversion of Cornelius. Well, Acts 10 is a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. It's pivotal because it is right here that we see the gospel for the very first time 
began to make its way beyond the early Jewish believers into the community of the Gentiles. This is the first Gentile convert. You and I sit here 2,000 years later, unless you are of a Jewish descent, uh, biologically, genetically, uh, you are a Gentile. And so the gospel came first to this man and eventually made it into Europe and eventually made it to the shores here and eventually made it to your ears. And so this is a pivotal chapter of when the, uh, when, the, when the gospel penetrated the Gentile community. So Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a soldier, and he was stationed in the city of Caesarea, a city on the coast. It's a garrison city named after Augustus Caesar. It's named after a king. He was an officer in the military of the Romans in charge of a, a cohort, or today it would be like a, a company commander, maybe about 100 men. He is a moral man. He is a praying man. He is a giving man. He is a believer in the existence of God, but he is not on his way to heaven. And so God responds to this man who is seeking somehow by sending Peter to him to share the gospel. But to make it happen, something had to happen in Peter. And that's a big part of the story that we see here is not just Cornelius' conversion, but something we see happening in the life of Peter, the disciple. And so what we find here in this text are some very important truths that we need to hear and apply as we live in the culture in which we find ourselves. These are messages, I really think, are truth. This is truth that the American church must embrace, that it has not yet embraced, we must embrace this truth as a church as we enter into 2023. And I just keep hammering this and hammering it and hammering it against where the mindset of much of the church is today. And I won't quit hammering it until there's a great change of heart and mind. And we will know that it's taking place when we rise up to be the people God is calling us to be. So let's dig into this for a few moments. First of all, as we read this passage today, we see that the world is in need. And as you and I enter this year of 2023, 2023 years since the beginning of our Lord's earthly life, we find that our world now is in spiritual need as it was then. You know, when the Lord left this planet, if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he had the 12 disciples, remember, and then he tells them to wait in the city for power to come upon them. And we find out that the number of core believers in the life of the early church, the core number was not very big. And so if you look in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. That's the, the core. There's 120 of them. We have 120 people in this church sometimes when one class gets together for the Christmas fellowship with the husbands and the wives and their children. We have 120 people sometimes that may show up. Well, that was all they had. The 120 of them gathered in the upper room they don't have technology they don't have cell phones they don't have cars they don't have anything like you and i have to do but they have something given to them by the lord jesus christ that they are to do 
And so they began the task of obeying him by seeking to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what he's left for them to do. And so if you look in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, while they're waiting there, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Lord gives them a mission to a world in need, and there's 120 of them, and that's what the central focus was to be. And it was to be a mission that would touch all cultures. It was to be a mission that would have to adapt to various types of people and societies that they would encounter. It was to be a mission that would take light into spiritual darkness. Now, in the context in which they found themselves, and by the way, you'll notice there's no PowerPoint today, and that's not my fault. That's technology's fault, that they did not uh, work today to get it over to you. So I'm preaching uh, from a different type of a manuscript without a screen, and so I feel very insecure up here today. <laughs> Out of my element. So y'all pray for me that I stay on track. All right. So here we see these 120 people, they're giving a mission, given a mission to go into the world. We read about part of that mission taking place when Peter goes to Cornelius. What was their world like? Well, in the context in which they found themselves, they were surrounded by, in cities full of idols and temples to idols, gods and goddesses. As a matter of fact, our calendars are still marked by the paganism with which they, uh, that they dealt with. So we're just entering the month of what? January, right? And it's a month named for the Roman mythological god Janus. And it has two faces, J-A-N-U-S, two faces, facing one looking forward, one looking back. That's the uh, Janus god. As we think about their world, they lived in cities that there were idols and there were temples to idols all over the place. They lived in a culture in which there were no Christians in government. There was not one evangelical in all of the Roman government. When all this started, not one, not one. How in the world did they make it without evangelicals ruling the government? There were no Christians in the schools teaching the children. They were surrounded by gross immorality that was accepted as normal in the Gentile world. They had no cultural power to speak of in any way whatsoever. They, for the most part, came, as Paul says in Corinth, when you started coming to Jesus, you didn't come from the upper classes. You came from the poor, the uneducated, the slaves. Those were the people that you came from. And God rose, raised up those weak people to confound the wise. And so we think about these early believers here. That's the world in which they lived. But they were not pessimistic about that. Rather, they saw their world as an opportunity that God had placed before them and that he had given them a central mission to carry out in his name. That mission has not changed for us, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2023. And so beginning where we are and extending from here, we're to seek to evangelize the 8 billion souls on this planet. 
And only about 2.4 billion of those souls could be identified as Christian in some way. 8 billion is the number is being reached right now. First time 8 billion people, 2.3, somehow identify with the Christian faith. And many of them are not really believers, but that's, they identify in name with the Christian faith. And so as we think about this today, about perspective, they had a perspective in the fact that they saw a world that was in need, and they had a mission God had given them to, to, to engage that world. And so they were not pessimistic about the world in which they live. But I hear a lot of pessimism among the church. And as we start 2023, I want us to bury pessimism. I want us to dig a hole in the ground and bury pessimism. Because we should be the most optimistic people on the face of this earth. We just need to get our perspective right. You know, if you have your perspective wrong, it messes up how you view everything in the world. In World War II, we fought the Axis powers, one of which was Japan. And we defeated Japan in 1945 with two bombs that were dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and that ended the war with the Japanese surrender on the battleship Missouri. But you know that after that war, there were three Japanese soldiers who did not believe that the war had ended. They were in the Philippines. And one of those men was Hiru Onoda. And after the war ended, he spent 29 years hiding in the Philippines because in his mind, the war was not over. And so he and the other two guys with him, they ran guerrilla warfare. They did different things in the Philippines. He continued his campaign as a Japanese holdout among uh, these people. Now, they saw a leaflet the first time announcing Japan had surrendered in October of 1945. And it came down from the mountains. But they distrusted the leaflet. They concluded that it was Allied propaganda, believed they would not have been fired on if the war had indeed been over because they were still carrying out guerrilla warfare. And toward the end of 1945, more leaflets were dropped by air with a surrender order printed on them from a, a Japanese general of the 14th Area Army. And to the men who had been in hiding for over six months, this leaflet was the only evidence they had that the war was over. But they studied the leaflets and they decided they were not genuine. In 1952, letters and family pictures were dropped from an aircraft urging them to surrender, but the three soldiers concluded this was a trick. Eventually, one of the men was killed, one of the other men went away, and this one soldier continued there. Onada was alone. And finally, in 1974, a man traveled there, met him, had pictures made with him, took it back to Japan, and said so the only way he's going to surrender if somebody came and gave him orders to surrender. So an officer went from Japan in 1974 to tell him that the war was over, and it was then that he surrendered his sword, turned in 500 rounds of ammunition. But listen, he had gone from 1945 to 1974 in his mind, thinking the war was still going on. And that gave him that perspective on the world, everything about his life. And I just want to say that as you and I engage our world today, the world is always changing. And the world has changed a lot. 
And we must have our perspective as believers where it needs to be in relationship to the world in which we find ourselves. And the world in which we find ourselves today is a mission field. And we must not live in fear in relationship to the mission field. We must go to a world that is in need. And that world begins right here in Anderson where there is a lot of need and a lot of lostness. And so as God's people, as God's people, we must make sure that we are living with the right perspective, that the world is in need. Would you, would you say that with me? The world is in need. The world is in need. The world is in spiritual need. That's the perspective we need to have on our world. We live in a world that is in need a world that is lost, a community that needs Jesus. And so as we enter into 2023, I hope that becomes the predominant thing you think about in relationship to the world in which you find yourself. I live in a world that has great need. And God has strategically chosen for me to live in 2023 at this time, in this place, because he wanted me to be a person involved in relationship to this world in need, in relationship to the ministry or the mission that he's given to me. And every one of us, every one of us has been given a mission. Secondly, I want you to see this. They went to their world with a message. They didn't expect the world to come to them. They did not expect that the world, apart from Christ, generally would be excited about their practices or their morality. Cornelius apparently was being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you and I need to remember and always rest in and trust in the Holy Spirit is always out ahead of us working. He's the great missionary. And Jesus said this about his work in John chapter 16 and verses 5 through 11. This is when Jesus is preparing to go away right before he's crucified. He says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. You know, that's the greatest sin in the world. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So the Spirit is out working. And so he's working in Cornelius' heart. Cornelius has his angel speak to him. And so he, he sends people, as the angel directed, to go get Peter, who was in Joppa, a coastal town 32 miles to the south. Joppa's the town where Jonah got on the ship to run from God, you may recall in the Old Testament. But the point being made is that when he sinned and he said, I got a need here, Peter got up and he went to him. 
The Holy Spirit said to Peter, you get up and you go to him. You get up and you go find him. And so we see in the life of the early church, they went to the world with a message. They went to the world with a message to change people and to change families. And the message they went with was the gospel. That's what they talked about more than anything else was the gospel of Jesus. Because it is the power of God of salvation. It is the power of God to change people. It is the power of God to change families. It is the power of God to change cultures. It's the gospel. So their message was not one in the early church about shaping the culture. That may would come later when they gained strength and more people accepted the message. But as a church, their focus was on the message that people needed to hear. And if the greatest sin is that they've not turned to Jesus, then we need to be telling them about Jesus so the Spirit of God can take that message and convict their hearts and draw them to the Savior. And so when Peter gets there and he goes into Cornelius' house, we go back to the book of Acts chapter uh, 10, the preliminaries are done, and Peter begins to speak, Acts 10, beginning in verse 36. Or verse 34, let's start there. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Then he talks about Jesus' life and his power, and how he healed. And you pick up in verse 39, And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. And God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We are those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. Listen, he is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. So there it is, the core of the gospel. The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the calling of people to place their faith and their trust in him, that was the message Peter took into Cornelius' house. That was the message the Spirit sent Peter to deliver so that he could be saved. You know, we must realize, and again, I don't think a lot of Western believers want to hear it. For a long time, perhaps I didn't want to hear it. To have my perspective really changed. But I think we don't want to hear that we are a spiritual minority in our environment. There was a time when the church had greater influence in our part of the world, particularly in the 19th century. But that has waned for a variety of reasons in the most recent generations. Part of the reason is because we've forgotten our mission. And the message of trying to call people back to God, back to church, 
increasingly falls on deaf ears. So many of our friends and neighbors have never known God in the first place. And increasingly, many of them have no real experience with the church, at least in any positive way. And while some stats argue that still 60-plus percent of Americans identify as Christians, we know, we know that as far as evangelical belief, having an informed faith rooted in the message of the gospel, that salvation is a gift that I've accepted and I have a personal relationship with Jesus, we know that our nation is perhaps the third largest mission field on the face of this planet. The only nations that have more lost people than this nation would be China and India. It's because they have a billion people each. We have 330 to 40 million, maybe more, because I don't think we're counting everybody. And so our own North American Mission Board, Alpharetta, Georgia, the one that sends out church planters, the one you support through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, they estimate that 281 million people in North America do not have a relationship with Jesus. Now, if there's only 330 million, and there's 281 million that don't know Jesus, what's the difference in that number, you mathematicians out there? How much? Oh, okay. I hope you're all right. I was trusting you. The point is that we live in a nation that is lost. We live in generations that do not know Joseph. That is, they don't have a memory of, of Joseph, like in the Old Testament, the Jews remembering his leadership in the previous generation. They don't have the memory many of you have in relationship to Christian theology and the church. 281 million people do not have a relationship with Jesus. And as far as our mission is concerned, what the world needs to hear is the message then of the gospel. They should see us coming to them in love, bearing that message of peace. You remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about the armor of God, that we're to put that on Christian virtue. And he says in Ephesians 6, verse 15, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. Or another way to translate it that I think is, is better is put on for shoes, put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. That is, we as God's people are to live virtuously, to back up our lifestyle, to back up our message, lifestyle backing up message. We're to put on the armor of God, but our feet are to be ready with the shoes prepared to go share the gospel of peace with those who need to know Jesus. That's what we're to be running to do. That's what we're to be walking toward the world with that message of peace, peace between people and God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the angels can't preach this message. An angel appeared to Cornelius, but the angel couldn't preach the message. They longed to look into the things of the gospel, but the angel said, hey, go get Peter and bring him, and he'll tell you. You see, the angels can't do this. 
The world's not going to do this, and the only people that the Lord has assigned to do this is us. And we're to bear this message of, of the gospel. And so Peter goes, and he goes into Cornelius' home, and if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 10, it says in Acts 10, in verse 34, the translation I'm using says, And Peter replied, I see very clearly God shows no favoritism. So this is when Cornelius has said, I'm waiting to hear the message. Literally, the best translation of this is that Peter opened his mouth. And Peter opened his mouth. And the language here is saying Peter is opening his mouth to share something very important. And what he is opening his mouth to share is, Cornelius, you need Jesus. You need to be saved. That's the most important thing you need to know, Cornelius, is Jesus. And that you have him in your life as your Lord and your Savior. And you know, that is who we are and what we're about primarily. If you're listening today and you're not yet a Christian and you understand or don't understand really what the church is about or what our message is, you hear a lot of things coming out of the mouth of the church. And I get that you hear a lot of things coming out of the mouth of the church. Sometimes it shouldn't be coming out of the mouth of the church. But what we're about primarily, what we're here for, what we want you to know above all things is that we're essentially about sharing a message of how you can be reconciled to God, how you can accept God's forgiveness in Christ and have eternal life, of how you can become at peace with God as we did when we accepted that message. That's the only difference really in this room between those of us who are on our way to heaven and those who are not. Is it like Cornelius and Peter, somebody told us about Jesus and we received him as our Savior and our lives were changed? It was all by a gift. And there's nothing special about us. There's a lot special about him. And we want you to know him. The third thing I want you to see today out of this passage that I, I need to hear Nobody else in this room needs to hear this message. I need to be reminded of this message. And that is they overcame their inhibitions to touch lives. We see in Peter's experience here that they, they overcame their inhibitions to touch lives. You know, we may feel better about ourselves saying things, certain things about what we wish would happen in the culture that aren't going to happen and which from a biblical perspective may not be the best. In other words, I'm a Baptist. I don't want the schools trying to do our jobs because they can't do their jobs. And that's why I believe we must put these things to rest and get our perspective right and grasp that we're in a huge mission field full of opportunities and we will find those opportunities for us when we're willing to adjust to our neighbors to get close to them, to befriend them so that we can get up beside them to talk about Jesus. The idea is that if we're going to be effective, we must learn to be bridge builders as God's people. And so that's what the story about the sheet is with old Peter. Peter's up on the roof. He has this vision and it's a sheet that comes down. It's full of all different kinds of animals. And God says, Peter, get up and kill and eat. And 
Peter says, man, I'm not doing that, God. I'm not doing that because I, as a Jew, I've never eaten unclean food. He shows it him three times. And the point is, God is showing Peter that all the old divisions among people that men have put there, whether they be racial, ethnic, sociological, that these things are not recognized by God. That was the purpose of the vision. And so when Peter got to Cornelius' home, he put the analogy fully together in his head. Jews did not eat certain foods that Gentiles did. And so to go into a Gentile home or eating the food that was unclean there would make you uh, ceremonially unclean. Plus, there was just general animus between Jews and Gentiles. There was racial hatred between Jews and, and Gentiles. The Jews lived in their culture. Peter's a Jew. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a Gentile. And so he, he is a person who's an occupier in Peter's land in that sense. And the Jews looked at him in that way. But you see, God worked in Peter's heart on this day to change his heart, to see Cornelius no longer as a Gentile, to no longer see Cornelius as a soldier who was occupying his nation, to no longer see him as one who was unclean, but simply God changed his perspective to see that Cornelius was a man, simply a man like him who needed Jesus. And so if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 10 and verses 28 and 29, it says that right there, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. It was taboo. But Peter says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. This is saying that Cornelius is saved. He needs to hear the gospel. But the point is that God is tearing down all the divisions in Peter's heart that keeps him from building a bridge to Cornelius. And God ripped it to shreds through that vision on that day. And so... His perspective changed on that day really to become a missionary to this man. You know, because our culture has changed so much, if we're going to reach our culture of so many people who are not like us, and there's a whole lot of people out there that are not like us, right? If we're going to reach them, then we're going to have to ask God to help us overcome our various prejudices, our predispositions to judge people by appearance, our inner revulsion to the ways people display themselves, some of which is done to shock or cover up feelings of inferiority or to seek to express some identity. We must ask God to help us see people simply as people made in his image that he loves in need of Jesus, just like I was in need of Jesus. And we must seek to build bridges to them in every way that we can. And if that means I have to adjust in some areas of my life culturally, sociologically, whatever, I'm willing to die to those things that I might reach those people. And that's why I had Greg read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. I want you to turn back to it quickly. I know my time is short here. But reading out of the New Living Translation 
we find Paul saying here, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, 1 Corinthians 9, 20, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in his blessings. You know, perhaps it would do us some good, and maybe we need to do this in our vineyard classes, to study some of our great missionaries who sought to build bridges to the cultures they wanted to reach. I think we need to learn from our international missionaries about how to be domestic missionaries today. There's so many of them who left us great models to follow. I think of Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission. He lived from 1832 to 1905. He said this about reaching China. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything and at every time. Even life itself must be secondary. He went to China at age 21 and would minister there for over 50 years. He tried to dye his hair black, and something went wrong with that. He nearly put out his eyes because he was trying to look like the Chinese. He later adopted Chinese dress and said to reach them, we, we need to become like them if we're here serving them in every way that is not sinful. And even though it was very controversial at the time, even the women missionaries began to dress in that way. And a lot of people from Great Britain did not understand that. But the point is, and I have to wrap this up, he was not willing to let anything cultural stand in his way of seeking to reach people with the gospel. And we must not let anything stand in our way. And so believers in this culture, if we're going to reach people, we've got to realize that we cannot let cultural inhibitions, our traditions we love, our tendency to hang out with our own the longer we are believers stand in the way of reaching our friends and neighbors and fellow citizens with the gospel. And my prayer is that in 2023 we make it a priority to learn how to be better missionaries individually and as a church.